Hey everybody, it's Dr. Tim, and in this version of the Dr. Tim's Aquatics podcast, I'm talking with our social media coordinator, Hillary, and we're going to discuss organics, where they come from, what they do, are they good, are they bad, how to control them for your water quality, and um, hey Hillary, how you doing today? I'm doing good. I'm excited for this conversation. (laughs) Yes. Go ahead. (laughs) I was going to say, let's, let's start out with like the very basics. Cause I know sometimes like when people, you know, coming from an aquarist, like a hobbyist, you know, especially when you first get into it, people are like organics, what are they? And you get a lot of conflicting information. So let's start basic 101. What, how would you define organics? Okay, so organics are substances that have a carbon in them. Everybody's, when you're first starting, you hear about ammonia, nitrite, nitrate, phosphate, calcium, magnesium, all these terms. None of those have carbon. But all living organisms, whether they're bacteria, a sponge, an anemone, fish, shrimp, your hands, food, Everything else has carbon. That's why we're called carbon life forms. And that recirculates. So organics are going to be introduced to your tank via putting fish in there, putting bacteria in the system, feeding. Those are all organics that recycle and also can build up in the aquarium environment. So it's the living and the past living or dead material that's in your aquarium. Okay, that's good to know. So I, I think I'm I'm really bad when it comes to organics uh, with the food. <laughs> I, I tend to be heavy handed when it comes to feeding. So I know that that's where my organics, most of them are coming from. <laughs> right, most people, that's their primary source is their food and they overfeed. And the difference between a you know, a real aquarium and a virtual aquarium on a computer is in a real aquarium, you have real fish, real corals, and they need to have real food. And so you've got these organics that are recycling in the system. You need them, but we need to control them because what happens is that the organics can be broken down. Plant material, fish waste, uneaten food gets recycled in your aquarium, just like on earth. And that can lead to a buildup of materials that we don't want in the aquarium. And some people can call, call that old, old aquarium syndrome or something like that. But it's basically a buildup of these organics that we need to control. Okay, that's good to know. Now you mentioned a lot of different sources. Is it possible that they could come from the source water that you use for your tank? Well, they can, especially if you don't filter it. Um, there's a couple of different ways. If you use natural seawater, well, there's definitely organics there because natural, natural ocean water is full of organics. And you can't really filter out the, all the organics. And I guess we should take a little side road is that there's two groups of organics, particulate organics and dissolved organics. Particulate organics are uneaten food, particles that are in the the water. Uneaten food, decaying food, all that material that can basically be filtered out by 
a fuzzy pad, a sponge, a filter sock. That's all the particulate organic. Pretty easy to get rid of, clean your particulate filter, you know, your mechanical filter off it. But then there's also dissolved organics. Dissolved organics are the things that turn your water yellowish, brown, or cause smells. You know, sometimes you have that aquarium smell. That's organic buildup. And some of those can be removed by activated carbon. Uh, protein skimmers can remove particulate and dissolved organics. Um, so there's both. And the biggest problem is unless you've got really a $45,000, $50,000 total organic carbon analyzer, there's not an easy way. Uh, I'll teach you a trick um, later on in the show, but there's not an easy way to really quantify the amount of organics that are in your system and break it down between what's the particulate percentage and what's the dissolved percentage. Hmm, okay. You could probably also, like I assume you could do a water change to help get, a, get rid of some of those dissolved organics as well. Well, definitely. And, and a water change in siphon cleaning the substrate you, gets rid of organics. And why this is important is, as I mentioned, or, <clears throat> organics are recycled. That means bacterial action. And what can happen as organics build up and bacteria are breaking down those organics, you get these local zones where there's no oxygen. Well, the bacteria don't stop working. These heterotrophic bacteria that break down organics can work aerobically or anaerobically, meaning with little oxygen. But what can happen when they are working anaerobically is they can start producing hydrogen sulfide. And they can have zones of low oxygen that you don't really want in your system. Now, I got to interrupt you real quick. If you've never uh, been cleaning a tank and you haven't ever smelled the hydrogen sulfide, it smells kind of like rotten eggs, but good for you because it means, I guess, that you're doing something right because that's never a smell as an aquarist that you want to have. No, you do not want... Um, hydrogen sulfide in your aquarium. It's a deadly gas. doesn't matter how much oxygen you have in the water. It'll get into the coral tissues, fish gills, even into bacteria. It's, one, it's the one thing that definitely can kill nitrifying bacteria is hydrogen sulfide. So not a good thing. No. Now, you mentioned gravel siphoning. So does the depth of the sand or the substrate um, I, I would assume that that can affect the organics. I, like, you know, if it's deeper, that there's probably going to be more organics or even trapped organics. Exactly. So not a big fan of deep sand beds. Um, anything over two inches to me is probably a little bit too much, unless you're going to have lots of sand sifting and really keep it clean. But invariably, people get lazy. And, but organics build up down there. And then the oxygen goes away and it becomes these anaerobic or even anoxic zones that start producing gases that you don't want. And it's easy to tell if you can see through the side, it's, that area will be black. And that's the telltale sign that you have hydrogen sulfide buildup. 
All right, good to know. So save yourself a little bit of money when you're adding substrate to your tank. Don't go so heavy on that. Two right. inches is probably the better way to go. And another area, because people will start saying, well, you know, my water quality, it's perfect. Why do I have all this cyanobacteria? A key sign of cyanobacteria buildup is organics. And where are they? Well, if you have lots of live rock, there's all those crevices, all those holes, dead spots that the organics start to accumulate in. And the cyanobacteria, they can start to build in those areas because they're breaking down those organics. In nature, cyanobacteria are generally a sign of a polluted zone. And so if you're not having lots of wave action, you know, you've got some currents back there stirring things up, invariably you're going to have areas where organics build up and that's where you're going to start getting these cyanobacteria outbreaks. Okay. So that's good. That's, it's interesting to hear, I guess, the science and the, the, interactions that are going on when we see a dino or a cyano outbreak in our tank like to know what's going on behind it so that we can adjust and fix and take care of things yeah there's a scientific reason not going to say we have all the answers but there's definitely something happening there and the important thing to remember is it can happen in a small microzone. the the aquarium you can take a sample and it'll be quote, fine, but what's happening in that micro level, in those crevices, under that live rock, where there's no current and there's no oxygen, that's where things can start breaking down and the water quality is not the same as in the, reg, you know, the bulk aquarium water. All right. I'm trying to think, you told me something, one of the times that we've had a conversation about, um, how you can tell like if you've got um, limited or no phosphate or low nitrate, what those are a sign of. And I'm trying to remember what it was that you told me. Well, there's kind of this trifecta of bad guys that people constantly battle. And that's uh, hair algae, green algae, you know, the, the, the macro, what I'll call type of a macro algae type thing. And then there's cyano bacteria, and then there's dinoflagellates. And so a lot of people, they're on the internet and they're reading and they'll say, well, I don't want high nitrate and high phosphate because if you have high nitrate, high phosphate and light, invariably you're going to get an algae, you know, the green algae, the carpet algae, the hair algae, all that kind of stuff, because you've got lots of nutrients and lots of light. So then, Logic kind of says, well, let's get rid of one of these. Let's, let's limit this. We'll, we'll do lots of water change. I'll set up a denitrifying filter and we'll eliminate nitrate. Well, that plays right into the hands of cyanobacteria because cyanobacteria can fix nitrogen from the atmosphere. So if you limit the dissolved nitrogen in the water, which is primarily nitrate for aquariums, then Algae can't grow because there's no nitrogen in the water, but cyanobacteria can grow quite well because they can take the nitrogen from the air and convert it into the nitrogen they need. So you've pulled the system to favor cyanobacteria. 
long-term fix, yeah, you can get rid of the cyano, you can treat it, but you've got to get the tank back in balance, which means bring up a little bit of that nitrate because the key to this, and, and I admit I'm bacteria centric, but the key to the system is having enough of the right bacteria in the water to consume the nutrients to keep the cyanobacteria and everything else at bay. Because then people will say, well, forget, I'm going to keep zero nitrate. I'm going to keep zero phosphate and I'm going to teach these guys a lesson. <laughs> well, now what you've done is you can't grow bacteria in the water because they need a little bit of phosphate and nitrate. You can't grow cyanobacteria because there's no phosphate that they need. You can't grow hair algae or, you know, the algae because there's no nitrate and phosphate and you've played right into dinoflagellates. And anytime someone says, oh, I'm having this dinoflagellate outbreak and I just can't get it fixed. First question we ask, pretty much we tell them, you don't have any phosphate or nitrate, do you? No, that was great. I eliminated that. I got these super low values. They're unmeasurable. You know, it's perfect. You're right. It's perfect for dinoflagellates because <laughs> dinoflagellates feed on organics and phosphate loves to stick to organics. When you do a phosphate test, you're actually only measuring about two to 3% of the total phosphate in the aquarium, what we call the soluble reactive phosphate or the orthophosphate. Most of the phosphate is stuck to organics. And since dinoflagellates can feed on organics, they now have the upper hand and they're photosynthetic too. So they've got light, they've got phosphate and nitrogen from the organics. It, the system is perfect to grow them because you've made the system such that you can't grow any of their competitors. So that's kind of that three-way yin and yang that goes on. You need a little bit of nitrogen in the form of nitrate. You need a little bit of phosphate. And then most importantly, you need to keep some good bacteria in the water, water column. And, and so why don't we have this bacteria? Well, it goes back to that most people over skim. And the skimmer is great at removing bacteria from the water. So we've got this basic bacterial desert in the water column. In nature, in the ocean, there is lots of, lots of bacteria in the water column. And there's actually some papers out there that have compared bacterial counts in aquariums to that in nature. And when you turn the skimmer on, the bacteria counts go way down in the water column. And column, and that's basically the competitors to all these. So you've, you've eliminated, you've sterilized the system and left it wide open for these things that can grow on surfaces like cyano and dinos. You know, it's, it's interesting. You mentioned uh, like the open ocean and, you know, I feel like, especially maybe like a few years ago, I feel like a lot of aquarists were, chasing numbers, trying to get their numbers down to zero, trying to get like absolutely no phosphates and no nitrates and stuff. But, you know, the more I've come to learn and read about stuff and talking to you, this conversation, you don't want, you don't want zero. Like, again, think about the open ocean, like those values are never going to be zero. 
Correct. And, and, and you're correct on many aspects of that. People chase these numbers, but they don't really understand the biology. We can't measure everything that's in the aquarium and in all the forms. And it does get complicated. And I could say, well, phosphate, there's different forms. Organics, there are different forms. But that's just the reality. By chasing the number, we're forcing the system to one side or another. And nature is going to outsmart us every time. And, yep. and the organics are this big pool because, you know, it's, it's kind of that circle of life. nutrients recycle. If we didn't have bacteria on earth recycling dead plants and all the vegetation and animals and stuff like that, well, we wouldn't be here, truthfully. It's the the circle of nutrients. It's what you learn in ecology and microbial ecology as you start looking at the whole ecosystem, not just fish. Well, where do the fish get their food? What happens when the fish dies? You know, the, the whole system is what you need to take into consideration. And that's the same in an aquarium. You need to think more about than just ammonia or nitrate. And organics are really kind of the, the fuel. Because I'll get asked all the time, we make a fish food, people don't want lots of phosphate, and they'll go, well, can't you make a phosphate-free fish food? And there's even a couple of companies in the past that have advertised that, phosphate-free. That's cardboard. Okay? <laughs> phosphate is like octane and gasoline. You need octane and gasoline because that's what drives your engine. If you have a higher-performance engine, you have to buy the more expensive gas because it has more octane, that rating in there. That's the same with food. Phosphate is really the fuel that we need. All cells need phosphate to do all these complicated things that we're not going to talk about. It's not cellular biology talk. And that this is what you need and that's what food provides. And food is organic because it's full of carbon. And then it recycles through the fish, through the corals into the system and then is available as bacteria start to break that down and that's why you need to help the system because even a you know big aquarium is a finite resource. It's not the ocean. And so siphon cleaning, cleaning your filter, the, something every aquarium should have is an easily accessible mechanical filter. And you can clean, you should be able to clean that as often as you can. Daily, you know, and that's with the, the roller filters that are becoming popular. You're familiar oh, with those, Hillary? Oh, yes, I love those. Yeah. I don't have one, but I love them. Right. So the waters, for the, those listeners that don't um, know about these, kind of think about it as a, a roll of paper on one end, and there's an empty roll on the other, and it slowly moves. It's usually got a motor that's rolling the paper through the an aspect of the aquarium and all the water has to pass through this paper. Well, if the, if the paper just stayed there, it would be clog, become clogged up and the water couldn't pass through. But this paper is slowly moving. So particulate organics are being trapped into this filter and then it rolls and takes the organics out of the system. So it's kind of an automatic organic a remover 
where you don't have to remove the filter pad, the system does it. And it's removing these organics so they don't get broken down, adding nitrates and phosphates and things like that into the system. Yep. They're very cool. You know, you mentioned something a minute ago about cleaning your materials. That's, you know, you can have all of the filtration in the world, but if you don't clean it, if it's not easily accessible, if it's a pain in the butt to get to, um, you're not going to be motivated to clean it. So when you're setting up your tanks, just something to think about, you know, if you've got a sump on your system, make sure that those filter socks or floss or whatever you're using is easy to get to so that you'll be able to change it out. Right. It's like an oil filter on your car. If you never change that oil filter, your car is going to break down. And if you never clean your filter, your mechanical filter in your aquarium, things are going to break down. You need to clean it and clean it off. And that's why I don't like mechanical filters doing double duty as biological filters. Yeah. And, and another tip too, if you use something like filter socks, have two or three pairs, not just one pair. That way you can have one in the system, one that you're cleaning, and then another one to switch them out. Exactly. Always good to have multiples in that type of, uh, you know, selection that you're using. One's cleaning, one's drying, and one's being used. Yep. Yeah. So in the same lines of like filtration and removing stuff from the system, let's talk a little bit about skimmers, right? Because like a lot of people will use skimmers and even some of our products, I know I was using I can't remember which one I was using the other day, but if you read the back of the bottle, it says, um, like, make sure to turn off your skimmers, <laughs> that it is possible to over skim on stuff. Right. And, and by over skimming, what I mean by that is that you're removing bacteria from the water. The key to a balanced system, and a balanced system is a system that isn't causing you a bunch of headaches because it's... <laughs> You know, it doesn't, your tank's not covered with cyano or dino or algae and looks good, is really having bacteria in the water. And what these bacteria do is they break down organics and they get it into a form. Basically, they break the organics down and they consume nitrates and phosphates, producing more bacteria. Your skimmer is really good at removing bacteria. Now, skimmers were originally designed to remove organics and people would, you know, oh yeah, you got to have a skimmer. And then humans being humans think, well, if I've got to have a skimmer and I've got a 50 gallon tank, why don't I do really good? And I'll get a skimmer for a 200 gallon or 300, 500, I'll get a big skimmer and that'll make things even better. And it makes things worse. The question I ask people if they come up to one of the, you know, shows and are talking to me and I go, I just can't get rid of Sino. And I'll say, you know, how big's your skimmer? Oh, I got a great skimmer. It's really big. I got two skimmers, you know, one's good. Two's got to be better. Well, what you're doing is your the skimmer is removing too much bacteria from the water. And those bacteria have never had a chance to break down the organics and consume the nitrates and phosphates. And that lets anything that grows on a surface that isn't affected by the skimmer take over. And what are those? Cyanos and dinos and algae. So what I tell people is don't get a skimmer that's supersized for your system. And more importantly, 
put your skimmer on a timer. At night, when, you, when your corals are out, they're feeding, turn the skimmer off. Put it on a timer. Turn it off for just two, three, four hours. These heterotrophic bacteria, the ones that are recycling nutrients, the heterotrophic means they, are, they need a carbon source, um, multiply in as little as 20 minutes. So they can grow quite fast. You just need to give them time and you need to keep them in the tank for a little bit. So the process is they break down material. They convert, they, they assimilate carbon, nitrogen, and phosphate in, in the form of organics, nitrate and phosphate, growing more algae. And then your skimmer removes I'm sorry, growing more bacteria. And then your skimmer removes the bacteria, thereby removing these nutrients. Now your system's in balance. Okay. That's pretty cool. I had no idea that they, the heterotrophic bacteria could double so fast. 20 minutes. Yeah, 20 minutes. And that's why, you know, there's, there are, so how do you fix this? You know, there, we sell a bacterial additive. There's other companies that sell these bacterial additives, not nitrifiers, but these sludge busters, these, these graders. Um, well, the problem is you don't really know how much you need. Every tank is different. And if you just ignore the directions and dump a bunch in and you have a lot of these nutrients, you can get a bacterial bloom. So in literally overnight in tank will become super cloudy with the bacteria growing. And the problem is that these bacteria consume oxygen. So the bacterial bloom causes an oxygen deficit and now all your fish are dying because they're suffocating. So what we recommend is you start out with a, a quarter dose, a very small amount, just to see how your tank's going to react. Cause you can always add more. So you, um, that's probably the waste away you're talking about earlier. You add a little bit of waste away and you turn your skimmer off, let the bacteria re you know, circulate into the system and they're going to start working. But in a couple hours maximum, you turn that skimmer on to remove them. And if in between the water starts to turn hazy, turn the skimmer on immediately. And that's why we never recommend that you just add these sludge busters at night and then, you know, go to sleep because invariably in the morning, you, know, you can come to a tank where the fish are stressed or even worse. You've got to take it slow. Nothing fast happens. You know, nothing good happens fast in an aquarium. You've got to, got to take it slow. So speaking of taking it slow, so you're just referencing the liquid waste away, but we do have waste away gels, and I believe there's a whole significantly larger line of them that should be rolling out hopefully into stores starting the beginning of this month. Yeah, they're out. So there's waste away gels for amphibian tanks and for um, plant tanks, for betta tanks, uh, freshwater shrimp tanks. And what these gels do is they time release a little bit of bacteria 24 seven into the water just, just a small amount, which take care of the organics and the nitrate and phosphate. And then you don't have to worry about whether you're over skimming or cleaning or not cleaning. You still have to do water changes. We still want people to siphon clean their gravel and things like that. But it's a way to replenish the bacteria 
that are being removed by the skimmer or if you have a mechanical filter, a filter sock, or different ways, UV sterilizers kill the bacteria. So it's a way to rebalance the system automatically for any size tank. That's nice. It takes the work out of, you know, you having to do it. It just, it does it automatically. You don't have to worry about overdosing. I'm, I'm Actually, that's going to be the post for today. I've, I've got a photo of our shrimp waste aways that I'm going to be posting a little bit later on. Right. This, and it's kind of neat because what will happen is these waste aways in this plastic shell, it's a, it's a gel that does not dissolve. That was the real secret is we didn't want it to dissolve because it would be adding organics into the system and cause these blooms. But in many cases, especially when you first start using them, you'll see the bacterial film growing on the piece of plastic. And in shrimp tanks, that's food. They'll, grow, they'll be all over that gel because that's what they're eating is this off which in German word, but it's this combination of bacteria and the organisms that are feeding on bacteria. And that's great shrimp food. So if you are listening to this podcast and you just heard him say that, if you get one of these waste away gels and you put it in your tank with your shrimp um, and they're eating that, send me a photo at Dr. Tim's Aquatics on Instagram because I want to see it and we will happily share that so other people can see. Right. And the gels, they're, um, they'll change colors. The freshwater version is a green. Saltwater version is a aquamarine blue. And after 30 days, they'll, they'll change to this cloudy whitish brown color. And that tells you that they're no longer working. And then you toss them and um, put in a new one. And the plastic that they're made out of is recyclable and the plastic is actually made from recycled plastic. Oh, that's awesome. I was just going to ask you about, can we recycle them? Yep. Now, one thing we do need to bring up is vodka dosing or dosing these fuels because there's kind of two ways to add and, and, and get rid of organics to your system. If, if you don't have enough bacteria, you need to add bacteria. But in some, some systems, people think that they don't have enough carbon, that there's plenty of bacteria. I just need to add carbon. Because if you remember earlier, I said you need carbon, nitrogen, and phosphate. And so why, why you are adding vodka is vodka's carbon. It's a liquid form of carbon, and it's relatively cheap. And okay. You're adding a little bit of carbon to try to stimulate the growth of bacteria in the tank. Now, my personal experience is that you need more back, you need bacteria more than you need carbon. But I mean, there's a every tank is different. What you want to be very careful is adding a sludge buster like our waste away, and a carbon like vodka or any of these fuels at the same time, especially if you are just starting with our waste away, because you probably already have lots of phosphate, but you know, and lots of phosphorus, lots of uh, nitrate. And there's probably a fair amount of carbon in the system, in the live rock, in the gravel, in places that you don't see. Well, if you add our bacteria, and then you pour in some of this fuel, it's kind of like adding lighter fuel 
lighter fluid to a barbecue that's already going. It's not a good idea. We don't recommend adding them both at the same time. Good to know. All right, let's see. I have like a whole list of questions for you. Um, can we transition to talking about phosphate? Well, we can. One thing I want to do, though, before we leave is we've talked about you know, this organics, and I mentioned you got to have a $50,000 machine. But there is a way that you can kind of see, are, are my organics building up? Am I not changing enough water? What you can do is after you've cleaned your tank and it's looking good, the water's got that sparkle to it, take a glass, a clear glass, fill it full of your tank water and put it on a piece of white paper. Take a picture down through that glass with your iPhone and then do that like every seven days. And you will notice over time that water getting yellower and yellower. And that is, you can't put a number to it. And every tank's a little different, but you'll see the water in that glass looking down through it, getting yellower and yellower. And that's telling you, okay, what I'm doing, maybe my activated carbon's wearing out or my skimmer, I got to check that. I got to clean it. You know, a lot of people don't, they clean the cup, but there's other parts of the skimmer that need to be cleaned, be working well. So that's kind of a, a trick to look at how your organics are building up because people want to know, well, how often do I change my carbon? Every tank is different. I can't tell you two th weeks, three weeks. If you've got a fish-only tank and you're feeding a lot, you're going to have to change the carbon a lot. You're going to have to do more water changes. Yep. And this is an yeah. indication. Something I always tell people when they ask, like, especially like when I personally do water changes, I'm like, I always tell people, you need to watch your tank, pay attention to your tank, like pay attention to your corals, your animals, pay attention to the glass. Because, you know, if you, if you start to notice your water slowly turning yellow, then yeah, maybe, maybe it is time to uh, change out carbon or do a water change or, you know, dose something. Right, right. Because we, we focus once again, everybody wants to talk about you know, what's my phosphate? What's my nitrate? But there's different things building up into the system. This what what we call eutrophication, where the, the system goes from a nutrient poor to a nutrient rich. And buildup of carbon can inhibit processes. And that's what you really don't want, especially bacterial processes. There's different things. They're labeled humic acids and fluvic acids, and they come from the de decaying of organic material and they can inhibit bacterial processes. And that's really what I said earlier, this, this old tank syndrome is a buildup in my opinion of carbon that you don't want in the system. That's why you need to be changing water and siphon cleaning and don't believe any of these products that say you're never going to have to change water. It's just, <laughs> I'm not saying 50% every week. It all depends upon your system and what, what your load is and what your food is. That's why people will say, well, you know, I've got this coral system and I rarely have to change water versus my friend who's got all these fish. Well, why? Because he's got all these fish. He's feeding all this food, i.e. organics versus mm -hmm. corals. You're not feeding nearly as much food or, or basically you're not adding as much organics into the system. Yep. 
when I worked at a local fish store, I once had somebody tell me they hadn't done a water change in two years. And I'm just like, what? No, no, my tank's fine. Well, you should probably still do a water change, man. Well, and yeah, what was their alkalinity and their pH? And maybe they, they then they say, but I can never add another fish to it. Yeah, because your water quality is so whacked compared to everything else. The fish is in shock when you add it. Yup. Uh, all right. So phosphate, you had a question? Yeah. So one of our previous conversations, we were talking about phosphate. And I think you touched on this earlier that phosphate is sticky. What? It's very sticky. And that's why um, you get these emails and you, you see them, you know, I got this high phosphate yesterday. It was zero. What's going on? And in the lab, we actually have dedicated glassware that is only for phosphate. We don't do any other measurements with it. We wash all our stuff in phosphate-free soap. And for the phosphate glassware, when we're not using it, it's in an acid bath. It's not out on the rack or out on the lab bench. It's actually in a bath of a weak acid because we, the phosphate molecule wants to stick to everything. And this is why if you've ever been in a hurry and you're adding your Kalkwasser to your aquarium and you're supposed to slowly dose it in and you just say, no, I got to go. And you just pour it in and then you turn around and look at your tank again and it looks like a snow globe. Well, what you've done is you've increased the pH up to about nine or higher and it's, you, had, you were adding Kalkwasser, which has got calcium, and you've precipitated out calcium phosphate. And that's what's causing this snow in your system. So the phosphate loves to stick to things, and one of the things it definitely likes to stick to is calcium. Um, but it sticks to glassware. It sticks to um, rock, you know, and... Uh, Basically everything. It's, it's pretty interesting. You know, the aquarium that I work in, we have separate containers for testing phosphate. And I never knew why until you told me, I was like, oh, that makes so much more sense. Yeah, because if you're using it to do other tests, you can get false positives because the um, sides of the test tubes, the reagent tubes, whatever you're measuring, even your cuvettes, where you're, if you're using a spectrophotometer, can have phosphate stuck to them. Now, speaking of like tests and test kits, um, how, I don't want to say how reliable, but, you know, because, I mean, they're reliable to some extent, but you're not going to get like a super, super accurate, accurate reading with most of them. No, in, in, and plus you don't calibrate. I mean, the only way you can really know is if you have standards and there's no hobbyist that really have standards, you know, that this is 0.1 phosphate, this is 0.5, and this is one. I draw a curve. You know, that's how a lab works. Mm -hmm. um, so they're really indications. And anytime you get a really high reading, what I always recommend is repeat the reading, especially if it's, you know, you've been going along and everything's been good, low, where it should be. And then one day you get this high reading. What, what do a lot of people do? They shouldn't, but they, they put the reagents in a tube and then they put their thumb or finger over it and start shaking. 
which is terrible technique, but your finger can be covered in oils and different things, which are, which is full of phosphate. You may have contaminated the sample. So um, you should never, you should never put your finger over your reagents. That's a poor technique. And some of these reagents are actually pretty nasty. So you don't want that. Um, but anytime you get a reading with a test kit that's out of the ordinary, you should repeat it. And they're, but they're indicators, you know, presence, absence, high, low. Uh, people want to really chase, you know, my ammonia 0.001. You can't measure ammonia that well. It's even difficult to measure ammonia that well in a lab or pH to three places past the decimal. Why? And plus, have you calibrated? So they're indicators, and, and that's all you should worry about is that they're presence or absence. Yep. Idea. Do I need to do a water change, or am I good? <laughs> all right. Well, I think that sums up most of the questions, all of the questions that I had. Is there anything else that I'm forgetting? Now, the main thing is, um, you know, uh, limit your inputs, you know, if you're, if you're having lots of problems, you know, phosphate, one thing that comes to mind is frozen food is full of phosphate because that's a preservative. That's why you should always rinse your frozen food before you put it in your tank. That's a primary source right there is frozen food. In terms of organics, you know, overfeeding, like you started out, most people overfeed, you know, you come to the, by the tank and the fish are always following you around because they always want to eat. But <laughs> overfeeding leads to organic buildup, nitrate buildup, because the organics are degraded by bacteria into ammonia and carbon dioxide. That's what happens with the, the carbon. The organic carbon is converted to inorganic carbon, carbon dioxide. And the nitrogen goes in, you know, the proteins come out as ammonia. So the bacteria converting these organics into ammonia that goes into the nitrogen cycle that builds up to nitrate. And then the phosphate's everywhere. It's just stuck on things. So um, if you're having problems with algaes, recurring problems, look at your organic load. If you're having cyanobacteria, where is it occurring? Can you, can you get something, a current or something to blow that area out? And then maybe you've got to increase your maintenance um, from once a month to maybe try every three weeks to get those organics out because they're kind of the fuel that's running the system. You know, that's your inputs for all this ammonia, nitrates, and phosphates that are growing the, anim the stuff that you don't want, especially if you're getting cyanos and dinos. That's a pretty good indication of organic buildup in your system. Good to know. Good to know. All right. Well, I appreciate it. And if you have any questions for us, we're always available. Um, yeah. We appreciate you listening to our podcast today on organics. Yeah. Thanks for listening and feel free to reach out on social media. We are always around. All right. Thanks everyone.